It's so good to see everybody this morning. Um, I want us to put our hands together because at 9 a.m. this morning, um, we launched our Saline County campus. So let's uh, give God thanks for that. Yep. Amen. Um, they sent me a picture, and it, it looks like at the 9 o'clock service, there were at least 1,000 people there at 9 a.m. this morning. So um, I expect that to be a 2,000 um, attendee day. So we just want to give God thanks that we're in uh, Benton and Bryant now. Great story on how um, how that campus came to be. And uh, I, I don't have time to share with you this morning, but um, I will at some point. It's just a great, great thing. So um, we just want to pray over the Adenmans as they, they lead that campus and uh, give God thanks for that. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to First John or go to your Bible app. And if you have neither, we're going to show it to you on the screen. Um, while you're doing that, I want to just kind of uh, bring you up to speed uh, on kind of where our church has been and what the rest of the year is going to look like. Um, we just came out of, of a three-week vision series called The Arkansas God Sees, and I just want to take a moment and give thanks to all of you who made a commitment to the vision um, for us to just be able to continue to plant life-giving churches, and uh, you also affect the things that we do day-to-day in our city. And so I just want to give you thanks uh, for that, for just believing in the, in, in the vision. So we've been talking about that for three weeks. Today I'm going to start a series out of 1 John, and uh, I'm going to go three weeks on that. And then that's going to lead us into our Big Screen series. And if you've not uh, been, ever been a part of Big Screen or, or seen it, um, it's, it's a great uh, way to just have church for two or three weeks. Uh, there's a lot of creativity, a lot of fun involved. And um, it's also a great opportunity for you to invite someone. Big Screen is, is probably the best platform that we create for you to invite a friend to. And um, so we're going to have a couple of weeks of that, and then we go into Candlelight. And uh, the way that we're going to do Candlelight this year is we're going to do four services for you. We're going to give you two on that Saturday night, one at 4 p.m., one at 6 p.m., and then that Sunday, which is Christmas Eve, we're going to stay true to our normal service times and do a 9 and 11 o'clock on that Sunday, Christmas Eve morning. So um, that gives you four opportunities uh, to come to bring someone, and uh, it's my favorite time of the year, um, my favorite service of the year, too. So um, I just want to go ahead and, and cast some vision about candlelight. And that's what the rest of our year is going to look like. It's hard to believe it. Um, but uh, I was in a store the other day, and they were already putting out Valentine's Day cards. I'm kidding. And so um, we're excited about the Christmas season and celebrating Jesus, and hopefully we do a good job of reflecting that here at New Life Church. I want to talk to you about First John for just a minute. This week is going to be just to kind of tee it up for us for the next two weeks, um, but I want to give you kind of a background on John and give you a, a history. Sometimes it's really beneficial that as we study out something that we um, are able to have a context for why it was written, um, who's the audience, what inspired it, and, and, and so on. And so I just want to talk to that for just a, a moment. John originally was a fisherman. Uh, apparently from Scripture, he had a good thing going. Uh, probably a family business. Um, if you study out the Jewish tr traditions of passing on uh, the family business, so um, this is probably something that he had inherited. It is possible that the boats he fished from, he even made himself. Um, and so um, 
John had uh, this fisherman thing going, and then Jesus calls him out of it and says, hey, I want you to come and follow me, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And John does it, and uh, which is, is crazy to think about because he left something that he was providing uh, for his family with, and then he took a huge risk on getting into the ministry with somebody who he did not know. So it does tell us, um, or at least it does in my heart, it tells me the Holy Spirit was at work in what Jesus was going to uh, do, and John just felt that, that too. He felt the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, we know that John authored uh, several, several books. We know for certain four, which would have been the Gospel of John, and then First uh, John, Second John, Third John. And uh, depending on which side of the theological fence you're on, um, you could say that he wrote Revelation or not. It's about a 50-50 when you dig into some scholarly writing. And so uh, we just don't see the same cadence and tone in Revelation as, as we do First, Second, Third John, the Gospel of John. John was in the inner circle of Jesus, so they were very, very close. Uh, there were 12 men involved as the original disciples of Christ, but then there was like an inner circle that was very, very close to him. Scripture records many occasions where these just three or four men would get together, Jesus being one of them, and uh, it was almost like just a really strong mentoring program for these guys. Um, John was one of them. Uh, John chapter 13, the gospel of John tells us that he was the one who Jesus loved, and they called him John the Be Beloved. And so there was this very um, special relationship between John and Jesus. They looked after each other. Uh, they were very close. Um, there was a lot of friendship involved between the two of them. They believed in each other. Um, he also had a, a son named, or a brother rather named James, and together they were the WWE duo called Sons of Thunder. Okay, I don't know if you ever heard about them, but uh, that's what the Bible calls them, the Sons of Thunder. So apparently, uh, there was a little bit of aggression involved in their in their personality. Uh, they were very straightforward with their thoughts. They spoke their mind, etc. And so John is, is very close to the words of Jesus, and a lot has been revealed to him that has not made it into the New Testament church. So he is indeed a carrier of the original gospel. I mean, he, he knows exactly uh, the mission that he is on. And so his audience in this letter in 1 John is a, is a conflicted audience, it's an audience like ours this morning. It is written to believers, but the purpose of his writing is to combat a, a Gnostic belief that has risen up strongly in the ranks of the New Testament church. The Gnostic belief in that day and time was this. It was simply saying, hey, listen, Jesus was a good guy. We, we don't doubt his existence uh, he's done some great things. He loved a lot of folks. Uh, he, yes, he changed some lives, but he was not the Son of God. And so if you think you're saved by believing on him, you're wrong. And so you had this New Testament movement taking place, and people were confused and worried and segregated. They no longer had a solid faith on going, you know, hey, I've believed in this story, and I believe that he died for my sin. Hey, John, is this not true anymore? 
And so John is writing this letter to say, let me bring some clarity to what's going on. He uses a communication tool that is light, okay? And so he's going to talk to us about light. Light is used 272 times in Scripture, some 170 plus in the Old Testament, A alone. And almost all of them, the, the mention of light is a type or a shadow of Jesus Christ or the coming of Jesus Christ. And it goes all the way from Genesis chapter 1 when God said, let there be light, all the way to Revelation chapter 22, where John the Revelator says, hey, when we get to heaven, there's no need for the sun, because the light of Christ is enough to feel and illuminate the whole place. So all other 270 plus mentions of light throughout Scripture are all pointing us to eternity, be in the light, stay in the light, Jesus is the light. And John is wanting to talk to us about that this morning. So that's the context. I want us to go to 1 John chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 5 through 10 from the NIV. This is what he says. This is the message that we have heard from him, him being Jesus. And now we declare it to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and He will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claimed we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His word is not in us. Okay, So very strong word, almost like an open re- rebuke to this, this church. And so he's telling them, hey, listen, we got to get this thing right. Let me put you back on track, and let me tell you that Jesus is the real deal. I'm here to tell you. That's what he's saying, right? So let's go through this really quick, and I want you to underline just a few things. In verse 5, I want you to underline the the words, God is light, and also there is no darkness in God. God is light, and there is no darkness in God. The reason I want you to highlight that is because I want you to know that there is no gray area when it comes to serving God. We are either all the way in or we're not in at all. Okay, One author even goes on to say, hey, you've got to be hot or you've got to be cold. Lukewarm is not acceptable. right? So John is starting to do the same thing. He's, he's getting us into the same mode of thinking that we're either all in or we're not in. All right? And so the second thing that I want us to point out about this is that sometimes there is a temptation among us as believers to see God as sovereign, but at the same time be tempted to see God as not a good God. He's sovereign, but not good. Okay, now let me tell you what I'm talking about. 
we have no problem with, with putting something onto the sovereignty of God, meaning this. We look at a situation in our lives and we go, that's not the way I would have done it, but God is sovereign. His ways are higher than my ways. He doesn't think the way I think. Obviously, he's God and I'm not. We come up with a lot of different ways to say this, but they all say the, say the same thing. He's God. He's sovereign. Therefore, I accept what's happened. But what, what we're tempted to do is put the stamp on the fact that God did it. He's sovereign. He has a will. However, in so doing all of that, he did harm to me. Okay, now we even use biblical examples for this, and I'm not going to speak totally on this thought today, but we even use biblical examples for this. For example, we look at the plagues in Egypt, and we go, how is a good God able to, to plague people and, and hurt the lives of people and still be a good God? How can God even get people involved in it and ask Joshua to destroy a city called Jericho and in it the, the command or directive is that nothing lives, not an animal, not a woman, not a child, not a man. Complete annihilation, wipe it out. But Job tells us this, that the Lord gives and the Lord takes. And so we've got to get this somewhere in our faith that God does no harm. There is no darkness in him. There is no evil in him. He is a good God, a God of light, and no matter what happens in our world, he is a good God. There is no harm in him. So how do we start to segue those two together? Well, we have to get it in our heart and in our, our minds that the number one thing that drives God the Father is the soul of man. And if he has to, to take in order to reach a soul, he will do it. And we have to be okay with that. He's not going to ask how we feel about it. He's not going to ask if we're okay with it. He's not going to ask if it's going to hurt our feelings. He's going to do it. We, God does not owe us anything. He is a God of light. There is no darkness in him. He is both sovereign and good, and we have to get our faith wrapped, wrapped around that. So in verse 5, John is trying to declare that. There is no darkness in God. In verse 6, they were claiming God, but they were not living for God. So some of these people had drifted over to start thinking like, like Gnostics. They said, hey, you know what? I'm going to just, I'm going to tweak the faith some. Okay? I'm going to take what the Word says or what I've heard of this story, and I'm going to add my own little addendum to it. And John is there to correct it and say, no, 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 wait, wait a minute. You've got to understand that, that God is light and then there is darkness. There is no mixing. There is no, no gray word here. It is light or it is dark. Verse 8, he tells them, hey, we are natural born sinners. We have a sin condition. And he goes on to, uh, to confront this and talk about it. I'm, I'll dive more into it as the message progresses this morning. But in verse 9, he gives them a remedy. He says, we can be free. We can be pure. We can be clean before God. We can be confident before God that my faith in Christ has given me security in my salvation. I'm not wobbling here on some type of shaky doctrine. 
but that he is the Son of God. He has remedied sin. And as long as I stay in relationship with him and pursue him, then he is mine and I am his. And so John goes on throughout this entire gospel. And if you haven't read 1 John in a while, I challenge you to. It's a very easy read, and you'll get some of his heart behind it. So since God is light, I want to look really quick at just a few characteristics of light, and then I'll talk about God. One thing we know about light is that it illuminates. Light reveals. It exposes. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13 says, Their evil intention will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. Again, a, a metaphor, a type, and a shadow of Jesus. So I'm going to do what makes theologians mad, and I'm going to insert Jesus into the word light here. But their evil intentions will be exposed when Jesus shines on them, for Jesus makes everything visible. It's like a light switch coming on. And this is what happens when we accept Christ into our lives. There's a, a burst of light. And in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, it says that light came into the darkness and the darkness couldn't comprehend it, meaning the darkness didn't even know what to do with it. It was so incredible. Okay, So when God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1, it was dark it was without form. It was void. The Bible says darkness was upon the face of the water. But then God says, let there be light. And the world was illuminated with the voice of God. This is what happens in a darkened soul. There was a time for every person in this room that's made a decision to follow Christ. There was a day that you were without form. You were void. Darkness was upon the face of the depths of your life. But God said, let there be light. And something happened in you. And all the dark places of your life were illuminated. And, and clarity came to you. And, and clearness came upon your life, and suddenly the things that were bothering you weren't so bothersome because you saw it in their totality. It wasn't you stumbling around with your hands out in front of you any longer, but the light of Christ brought revelation to your life. And it was amazing. It was euphoric. It's a spiritual high, salvation is, to suddenly understand and see the world in a completely different way. And not only our existence, but eternity. Suddenly eternity to us is, is beautiful. It's not mysterious. It's not scary. But there's something amazing about it. Why? Because it has light on it. We now see it. Psalm 119, and the scripture goes on in verse 105, says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But Lord, when you speak to me, I see what, what my next step is. That God went, when you talk to me, I've got it together. I know, I know what I should do and how I should do it because your word is a lamp to me. It's a light to my path, meaning, meaning where I go next, I can see. I know what, what the next step is. So light illuminates. The second thing, light reflects. It reflects off of objects. And just as the moon has no source of light but is reflective of the source of the sun, we too are to reflect the light of Christ in a world that is dark. Now I want you to hear me for just a minute because I'm going to teach you something really good. 
Some of you need to forfeit the role of being judgmental or condemning. It's a taxing role that we can put on ourselves. We think since we've seen the light that now we know what to do in every circumstance and how we should tell everybody to do it. And Facebook is not your friend. Okay? What I mean by this is we are to reflect the light of Jesus, and that's it. That reflection of just being a light on a hill, the, the reflection of Jesus in a darkened world just brings love and light and clarity, but it does not permit us or give us permission to fall into the role of judging or condemning. Don't do that. Let God be judge. Billy Graham used to say, let God judge and you love, and that's it. You love people, let God judge people. Stay out of his lane, okay? We are to reflect the light of Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. Talking about us. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 15, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright light in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Again, there is no mention of judging or condemning or positioning yourself there. It is only to be reflective of the light of Jesus, and that's where it ends. Just love people. Okay. Third, light energizes. Light, we know scientifically, is a form of energy. Our whole world revolves around it. Light in the morning wakes us up, and as it gets darker, it cues our body, hey, it's time to go to sleep, and it's time to stay asleep. Some of you cannot sleep with a light on. Some of you have no problem whatsoever. Okay? My wife can sleep through a, a, a thunderstorm. It doesn't matter. Tornadoes could be around. doesn't matter. She's still going to be snoring. Love you, baby. But me, I can't do light at all. Like I, I, I used to turn all, as many lights off as I could, but then there'd be just some stream of light, I don't know, coming through the window or something, and I would sleep with a T-shirt across my eye. For years I did that. Right now, we have a fan in our room to create noise. I, just, I don't know that now I can even go without it, but it's just making noise. And the on button on it has a little light. It drives me nuts. It's like this big. And to me, it feels like a flashlight in the room. So I put a piece of duct tape over it. it just, I, I just can't do it. i got to have darkness to, to a sleep in. The light cues our energy. It draws our focus. It steals our attention away. We know that light moves at 186,282 miles per second. It's the fastest thing in the universe, traveling at 670 million miles per hour. At that speed, you can circle the earth seven and a half times in a second. It is a form of energy. It plays a vital part in our lives. We take the light of the sun. It gives our, our bodies vitamin D. Plants convert sunlight into chemical energy. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he encourages us, says, hey, you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So before I hop into this, I just want us to hear John's heart and challenge to our church this morning, some 2,000 years after the fact. 
I still want us to hear his heart saying, hey, there's only one side of the fence that you can be on. And the reason I feel strongly about this is because we live in a world where education is one click away. That things that you want to know, data, information, an answer to a question is one click away. We have opinions that are, that are broad and wide and thick. I mean, we have all kinds of things that we feel strongly about. But hear me, don't drag that mentality into the Word of God. Stay teachable. Stay moldable. Stay in a soft place in your life where you're still able to say, Lord, I don't know everything when it comes to you, and I want you to show me. But one thing I know, I don't want to live in a gray area. I want to be in this light. I want to be in the light of God. So I really believe that his audience, after hearing this challenge, would go, hey, John, we, we get it, okay? We hear your heart. We hear how strong your tone is. We understand, okay? We know there's been some confusion. You believe Jesus is, is the Son of God. Great, because I have my faith in him. I got all my eggs in that basket. But John, tell me, tell me, tell me the how of it. How do we walk this out? Okay? And so John is going to address it for us. Watch this. First John 1 7. Let's start with this. We know that we're going to walk it out with fellowship. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Okay, now you can break this down several different ways. But John's heart echoing this is, is hey, hey, listen, if we walk with him, we're not only in fellowship with him, but as you walk this out, as you are in the light and I am in the light, we're on the same journey. We have fellowship with God and with each other. One of my favorite visual things that is going to happen at candlelight this year is when we actually do the candle lighting. And if you've never been to any candlelight service, not, not, not just ours, but any of them, you ha you've had the same imagery. And the way we do it, we start with just a few candles up front, we'll light, and then those people on the front will turn to the people in the next row, and, and they'll light their candle, and they'll turn. And within 60 seconds, the whole building is lit up. This is the visual that I see in 1 John as John's challenge is, hey, we're walking with each other. That we, are, we all are participating in the light. Same road, same journey, same story. We're on this road together. And I know I say this often, and this is a horn you're tired of me honking. But listen, I'm going to tell you this. I love, love, love the eclectic background that is in this church because it stirs my faith and energizes me to know that all of us can have a different story and a different view and a different angle about something that makes us a little bit different than all the others. We're not going through here with a cookie cutter saying you got to be like this and this and this. But if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you have repented of your sin and made him a part of your life, listen, given him your whole life. We're on the same road. We're on the exact same journey, and we are in this light together with each other. So verse 7 teaches us that one of the ways to preserve deep unity with God is to also have deep unity with each other. 
John was writing to the church because many of the believers were separating from community with each other, okay? Now, let me tell you how, how this happens. Like that, if you are not careful, and I've been saying this often, I don't know if it's just me and my thinking or if it's the Holy Spirit just keeps bringing it to mem- memory, but there are a lot of people who are not in a church this morning because they are what we call de-churched. They belonged at one point to a place of faith, a community of faith, but something happened. Maybe they, they, they were hurt or were frustrated or discouraged and nobody ever lifted them up. Maybe something happened in their life that you and I, we, we, are, we don't have a clue to it, but they left a body of faith because of it, and now they would rather stay home. And this is what John is speaking to. He's like, hey, come back to the light. Get back into fellowship. I don't know if you guys would remember this old uh, child game, but it's called Red Rover. Okay, anybody out there play Red Rover? Just raise your hand. There's no, there's no need to be ashamed. Lift, lift it up high. Yeah, okay. For those of you that don't have your hands up, I'm about to tell you a fantastic story. Red Rover is a game of strategy. It's not for idiots. Okay, chess is harder than this game. And so. You line up basically in two lines facing each other, and then you chant a war song. And it goes something like this. It's like, Red Rover, Red Rover, since so-and-so, right? It's very poetic. And what that person does is they look across the line, and they find the weakest link, and everybody's holding hands, and they take off sprinting, and they break through. And when they do... They pick up your best player, which typically was the biggest, strongest-looking person on the, on the team. And when it was a girl, it was really embarrassing. And so I was always left by myself because then I was real wiry and very fragile. I'm still talking to my therapist about it, but it's just a very hurtful time in my life. And so Red Rover, Red Rover, and so I would see them. They would look right at me. And I knew that they, they were kind of like, oh, gosh, they're coming for me. They're coming for me. And sure enough, they would over and over and over and over, and they kept taking more and more people till I was just there, just alone, no one to hold you, no one to lift you up. Come on, somebody, I'm preaching real good right there. And so what I did the next year, I decided I wasn't any bigger, but I was smarter so what I did before the game started, pregame, I went and I found two, two dudes, and I said, listen, you and I are just became best friends. And so I want you, one of you here and one of you right here, and I want you to hold my hands. And I mean hold them, okay, until they're white. I want all the blood out of them. And no matter what happens, do not let me go. I don't care if I spin around, do a backflip. If you hear bones cracking, does not matter. Do not let my hands go. And I won Red Rover for the very first time. My point here is this, okay? Let me 
move this over quickly to some spiritual biblical principle. You got to have some people in your life stronger than you are. I still to this day have to have it. I got to have mentors, pastors, friends who I can have very accountable conversations with, have fun with, but they are in a place that is bigger than me, better than than me, and so on. I've got to have someone in my life to do fellowship with who can hold me, hold on tight, do not let go, no matter the storm, no matter who's coming at me, no matter what is going on in my life. We all have got to have someone beside us or it will not work for you. You will find yourself de-churched because the value you have for gathering together will diminish unless you understand the value of having people on your team. Okay, I got to move on. The second thing, so first we have fellowship. The second thing, we need some transparency. John says, listen, I'm going to challenge you to be very transparent. I want you to hear his tone this morning. He says in 1 John 1, verse 8, if you claim to be without sin, you deceive yourself, and the truth is not, is not in you. That's very strong. He says, listen, if you think you are not a sinner, you're a liar. This is very hard. And then he goes in to challenge them. Now watch Mark chapter 4. I'm going to piggyback this, verse 22. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open. Every secret will be brought to the light, as anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. When we walk in darkness, we not only make mistakes, we keep them hidden. Here is our temptation. Call it society, call it culture, call it an innate desire, whatever it is. We know this. We are always tempted to hide what's going on rather than expose it. I used to think, you know, when I looked at Adam and Eve, I would think, man, they had to have been the greatest people ever. I mean, the hands of God shaped Adam. And at some point in the creation of him, he was lifted up or God bent down to him, something. We know God breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living soul. From his side came Eve. I mean, they had to be amazing people. They had to be physically beautiful people. But watch what happens. The first time they do something God doesn't want, they start hiding. Let's, 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 let's blame other people. Let's hide. Why am I naked? I mean, they're, they're talking crazy talk. I got, I got all, you know, what's, what's going on? Let's just hide it. Let's just pretend. Let's find a bush. Let's, let's get around. Let's make some clothes. We got to do something. Something's wrong. That same thing continues to just work its way through every single generation. Rather than just go before God and say, God, I did it. I messed up. It was me. Okay? I did it. We, we go buy a shovel. We got a secret place somewhere. We spend a lot of energy on faking it. I'm, I just got, if I can just get through the weekend service, if I can just get through without my life group knowing what's going on, if I can just get back to where it's me and my, I'll just keep going. Then I'll roll it forward an, another year and another year and another year. And we develop a very distinct and incredible talent for hiding stuff. Okay. Being transparent 
can terrify a lot of people. Here's why. Because we've spent decades perfecting it. We've spent decades perfecting it. And some of you, I'm just being honest, some of you are, are only, only creating what you saw in your home growing up. Your parents hid stuff. Nobody in your family ever owned it. So they've just passed the shovel down, down to you. And now the culture of your home is to hide it and pretend and mask it rather than just go before God and say, this is what I've done. It's been a mess. And so it's terrifying to think, I'm going to let, I'm going to let the light of God shine into that place where I've got all that stuff hidden. I'd, I'd rather live in the gray area. I'd, re- I'd rather just, you know, come and, and do church than, than actually be the church. I'm not sure I've signed up to let the light of God. And, this, and John is doing surgery. He's saying, listen, you've got to let God have all that stuff, you got to turn in your shovel and your mask and your map to all of it. You got to let the light of God get in every crevice of every area of your life and turn it all over to Him. Okay? Listen, to be transformed, you have to be transparent. Okay? I'm way out of time, so let me finish with this last part. The third thing is we do it with confession. So here's the remedy. 1 John 1, 9, he says, if we confess our, our sin, watch this, he is faithful and he is just. We have to combat the tension and the temptation to run and hide and bury and mask it and eventually find yourself de-churched and isolated. Instead, you've got to retrain your spirit man to say, we will go to God with this. And we will repent of this. And we will put the same energy that we we were going to spend on burying and hiding to revealing and, and becoming closer to God and letting the light of God shine even more in my life. But it happens with confession. Okay, I'll close with this verse. Matthew 6, verse 10. I got up this morning. Sometimes on Sunday morning I will wake up and I'll just kind of be in church mode already just and this morning, um, I woke up, and for some reason, Matthew 6.10 was in my head. So, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And it was like it was just on repeat in my head, just over and over again, over and over again. And I got up, and I walked around our house a little bit, and I went back, and I got in bed, and it was the same thing, just thy kingdom come, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. And sometimes when I'm like that, not not all the time, but sometimes when I'm like that, it's like the Holy Spirit wants to just give me a little nugget. So I just ask the Lord, you know, if this is something you want to just clarify, you know, I'm I'm listening. This is basically what I felt, why that verse is just reverberating in my life this morning. It's because as we pray, thy kingdom come. As we're praying for for God to take full control of our lives. And if we use the metaphor of light, let your light come. 
then then my kingdom that I've established, it's got to go. You, you, you can't have two kingdoms possessing the same land. So if you're praying for another kingdom to come, one kingdom's got to go. The one that's already established, it's got to go. Thy will be done means my will has to go. And this is exactly the sermon John is preaching. He's saying, listen, if you're asking for light, darkness has to go. That if you're going to really ask God to do a work in your life, then you've got to let death come to the old you and be born again. You've got you to have newness of life. So that's where, that's where I want to end today. Okay, I just want to pray over you. If you'll bow your heads with me this morning, you say, Kevin, I'm here right now and this is my...